Welcome to Adequate Yearly Progress, Episode 11. My name is Erin Sterling, and I'm the librarian at Eckstein Middle School in Seattle, Washington. Every episode, I interview a different teacher and find out why they became a teacher, and what they like about it, and what they don't like about it. In this episode, I interview Jessica Levine, a compassionate, musical, energetic science teacher at Eckstein Middle School. Jessica and I not only have a shared interest in music theater and music in the classroom, but also love John Green novels, sharing books all types of reading with each other, and we both went to small liberal arts colleges. I went to Carleton College, and she went to Oberlin. Listen to Jessica talk about how she transitioned from working in environmental after-school nonprofits to public school, the power of song and rhythm in teaching, and a new way she's engaging students in their own assessments this year. Plus, a bonus! If you notice, I'm not using the normal intro and outro music, and instead, you're listening to a science video that Jessica did of Credence Clearwater Revival's Bad Moon Rising to explain the concept of conduction, convection, and radiation. A great test for you who haven't studied science and you'll get to listen to some students practice it at the end. Alright, let's go! Hi Jessica, I'm glad you're on my show. For everyone listening, this is Jessica Levine. She is a science teacher at Eckstein Middle School in Seattle, Washington. So Jessica, could you tell me about yourself and why you became a teacher? I get asked that question often, and I think teaching became me. Okay. I started uh, paying attention to the world under the tutelage of my dad, who was a dentist. And I grew up in Connecticut, looking under rocks and swinging from trees and playing outdoors and as a result I was really curious about the way the world worked okay and that led me to study science in college and I learned a lot about Jane Goodall at the time and Mm -hmm. I was fascinated with her work as a real citizen scientist Mm -hmm. she was not trained as a scientist but went out and paid attention to the way that chimpanzees worked mm-hmm. and she journaled and wrote poems and got malaria and paid attention <laughs> and then became a scientist and then became a strong advocate for science education uh-huh. and I had a chance to meet her in Seattle oh, cool. uh, when John Stanford was kicking off his uh-huh. stewardship program to give environmental education to all Seattle students uh-huh. and she said that teachers were her heroes and until that point she was my hero. Actually, she still is my hero, which was really um, very exciting. And I was at a time where I was transitioning between environmental education and um, field-based science for myself. Mm-hmm. And that's when I became a teacher. Okay. So did you do like a master's program then after you had graduated? Yeah, or? quite after I graduated with a degree in biology and chemistry and environmental studies minors, I went on to then um, do a master's in teaching at Antioch University. Hey, that's where I went. I'd forgotten yeah. we had that connection. Um, and so how did you, I guess you talked a little bit, but how did you decide that you wanted to be in a public school versus in, I guess, had you, had you been working for like nonprofit type stuff or like after school type yeah, program? I had um, started as a summer camp program director for mm-hmm. nature um, okay. and taught kids outdoors environmental science. And then found my way into after-school programs through the YMCA Earth Service Corps, which was my first job here in Seattle. Okay. And then was working in a number of different schools and found myself working in private schools where Mm -hmm. I wore a thousand hats Mm -hmm. in both supervising recess and rewriting algebra tests for eighth grade and working on book 
projects for fourth graders and oh, okay. all sorts of great projects. Through and the through the organization you were with. No, and that then at that point I was working okay. in those private schools, and then um, I quit and traveled, and then went back to grad school at that time and found uh, a great job here at Exodyne actually covering for a maternity leave um, for my now oh. fabulous colleague, Emily Mosco. That is so cool. I didn't know that either. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I love doing this. Um, <laughs> and did you know that you wanted to do middle school in particular? Yeah, I've always been a fan of middle school. I believe it's the synthesis of and the integration of just so many disciplines happening at once. Mm -hmm. Middle school brains are making those early connections. Mm -hmm. I believe that teachers can be really collaborative, and I had some past experience seeing that. And while traditional public middle schools are sometimes more siloed than I would want them to be, Mm -hmm. there is still a great degree of collaboration, I think, especially here. What do you mean by siloed? Where a science class is taught, and then kids walk to the math class is taught, and then kids walk to their language arts class and that's taught and so they just go from one silo to another Mm -hmm. rather than seeing really in my dream a project-based learning experience yeah have you tried to explore that or do you think that's just a hard thing to do with the limitations that we have there are lots of limitations of being a teacher (laughs) yes especially in a big public middle school in seattle i have tried to explore them Mm -hmm. i'd like to do more um some of those desires have been funded a little bit by some um, larger grants that mm-hmm. have caused me to pull some colleagues together in a way that's been more successful, and that's been great. Cool. So wha- what do you like about being a teacher? Oh, every day is different, uh, and every day is really a lot of fun. I definitely have learned that I am my parent's child. I used to think mm-hmm. I was more my father's daughter, and I'm really both. Um, my mother was theatrical and very musical. And my dad was interested in sciences and chemistry. And I sing and dance quite a bit in the classroom. And I feel like there's no other job where I could teach particle physics and sing and dance about it and laugh and smile with kids and then create projects for students but create um, templates for kids to work through and get to be as creative as I possibly can Mm -hmm. in a really productive way towards science education. Yeah. It's a great gig. <laughs> it's a great gig. <laughs> it's a totally great gig. I have really, I really have great colleagues. Um, I like coming to work. Mm-hmm. Um, my colleagues have pulled me through some really challenging personal times, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been a great experience to see eye to eye with such great people. Yeah. Um, that's what I love about this job as well. You give well, me all these great books kid. to read, <laughs> and I've grown in my knowledge of, you know, juvenile and teen lit um, stuff. So. Yeah. What, what was an early challenge for you? Or maybe a continuing challenge. Wow. There's a lot of paperwork, and I don't manage papers Mm -hmm. well. Um, We're sitting in my classroom now, and it's surrounded by stacks of paper. So that's always been a challenge. I think I haven't figured out how that will ever get better as much as I'd like to see us in the education field move towards a more paperless system. Right. um, We're not there. And I'm even not there to manage my desire mm-hmm. to get there. Are there, like, s- strategies you put into play to help manage that? Or do you think that's just kind of a – that's just part of the job? Like, I'm thinking of if I – I don't know, like, folder systems or or yeah. things that you put into play over the years. Or if it's just kind of every year you try different things. I'm color-coded. So first period's red, second period is orange, third okay. period's yellow. You know, so I can have a rainbow every day in my life (laughs) Um, and it helps me find kids work so 
you know, if something is read and lost, it's a first period student for the right. most part. Um, and that's, that's good. Uh, we have a colleague together, Amity mm-hmm. Gann, who just recently posted something about how messy desks are a sign yes. of creativity. Yes. And I feel like I often nod and just say, yep, okay, this is who I am. And this is how the paperwork goes down and, or doesn't go down. And right, right. I and bring, everyone brings different things to the table. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about what you really liked about it. Are there other things that can be frustrating? Yeah, I think in a public middle school, I've been frustrated by the expectation that I'm going to fix everything about a child. Um, I love my 50 minutes with them, and Mm -hmm. I can really push their brains to think. But they leave what I hope is my nurturing, rigorous classroom environment and they go into the hallways and get mixed up with everything and they go into another classroom and get mixed up with anything mm-hmm. and then they go home and get mixed up with anything and some of that mix up is not a is not bad thing some of them are right. really positive but there's a real gap then in their connection to their learning again and every day seems like we have to start mm-hmm. sort of over and some of those kids do get mixed up in the bad stuff and don't right. get breakfast when they come to school or don't have a safe place to live or mm-hmm. been living with head lice for over a week and know exactly what their you know electric bill is because they're the ones working to pay it mm-hmm. that stuff's really frustrating yeah have you for the students who are struggling what what do you think has worked best with teaching them kindness and the theories of growth mindset mm-hmm. I believe have been really helpful um, at least telling them that the brain is plastic um, mm-hmm. neurons are building all the time and that working harder is going to get you smarter mm-hmm. and I'm not going to let students not work hard in my classroom right um, are there any lessons or units that you're really excited about or that you've taught that um, maybe it could be a particular one or um, maybe units you look, always look forward to or is it just kind of very I really like what I teach in general mm-hmm. and I'm lucky yeah. that I teach sort of a physics first philosophy here okay. at Eckstein that our sixth graders all start with the idea of particle as, mm-hmm. um, as the way that the world works and so we build this really great curriculum mm-hmm. um, that's always dovetailing on one and the other and what I really like is when kids ask questions they know that I'm not going to answer them for them, but mm-hmm. they're going to actually have an experience to discover the answer themselves a little bit later on. So my favorite unit, I think, is the clean water challenge, which is a contextual base for our solubility unit. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of fun, especially yeah. here in Puget Sound, where we have a lot of rain and a lot of stormwater right. uh, water quality issues. Yeah. And regarding the curriculum, how, how much do you and your team kind of build it and how much gets given to you again I like my job but I'm really lucky that I get to have a lot of freedom and flexibility Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that almost 90% of the curriculum that I teach in sixth grade science has been developed by myself or my colleague or Mm -hmm. us together okay Um, some of that 10% 10% has been given to us, but we have modified it and adapted it out in a way that mm-hmm. it's almost unrecognizable yeah. from the, its original form. And and do you, um, how much have you modified things from year to year? Sometimes very little. Mm-hmm. 
which is the nice thing to be in a groove after 10 years of teaching in yes. the same classroom. <laughs> um, I almost joked with a, another colleague from another school once, and I was like, planning is such a thing of the past. You know, <laughs> she really laughed. I was like, wow. So I do a lot of lab prep, but I'm not right. planning what does the worksheet look like. Um, yes. You know, what's the structure of the lesson for the students to put their data and their knowledge in, in place. Right. And that feels really good. Mm -hmm. um, the learning targets are clear. Yeah. Um, so some of that planning is really old school yeah. or done. Um, but I'm always modifying and tweaking for particular students. And then this right. year we have a new sort of method of getting students to engage at the beginning and end of class. Oh, cool. Could you talk about that? Yeah. Uh, we call it SNAPIES, which stands for the Students' New Assessment Portfolio of Their Effort and Achievement in Science. Okay. It's a mouthful. Snap piece is a great way to do it. But it's really fun. <laughs> I actually didn't know if it was pronounced snap piece. <laughs> so I'm glad you pronounced right. it. Cause or we I just say, get out your snappies and oh, we make great. it and make it snappy. <laughs> uh, so it's really a record and a log book of their practice. Mm -hmm. So with every activity that we do in class, they are summarizing the big idea and then okay. self-assessing on their effort towards that big idea. Okay. And so so that's something they do every day. For the most for part. The, or for the idea. Yeah, or of a lesson. So maybe it's mm -hmm. every, so every day and a half days. or so. Right, right. Sure. And um, how's and it going? It's great. We're collecting a lot less work, which is uh -huh. one of the intentions, and also asking students to be accountable for their own learning. Mm, yeah. So you're collecting less work because they're more involved in the assessment? They or? are, and we are assessing on the ground, um, I would say. Okay. So instead of collecting it and doing it on my time away from my students mm -hmm. and then writing feedback that they may or may not read mm -hmm. I'm giving them that immediate feedback while they're doing the work mm. and right in the class time so that I'm doing that assessment I've like always done the assessment them. and it's a formative assessment while they're working but now right. I'm just giving them a stamp of approval for where they're at and oh, then helping cool. them make it to the next level so do you get to different students or uh, or do you do it all together Sometimes I'm doing it with small groups. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm assessing the previous activity while they're working on a current one. Okay. And it, that cool. part's varied. That's but great. it's been fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. I hadn't talked to you that much about it. Yeah. Um, what do you do with lesson plans that don't necessarily go as planned? Uh, make some notes and try it again. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's the simple answer. I guess the other is that I walk over across the hall um, and talk to my colleague because we've mm -hmm. designed a lesson together and we may deliver it differently. Right. And if students are not getting us the reaction or the responses or the learning that we intend, mm -hmm. we really meet our minds back together. And I'll run over there and say, ugh, that didn't work. And she's <laughs> like, no, no, totally. So let's talk again at the end of the day and see how we've tweaked it and how we're going to make it better. Or, mm -hmm. you know, wow, they don't have the knowledge that we thought they did or Right. Or they do, and now we need to move quicker mm -hmm. on something. Have you always taught sixth grade? Mostly. Okay. Yeah. I uh, student taught in a really unique situation that was sixth through ninth grade. Oh, so I had sixth through ninth graders yeah. in the same classes, and then wow. or sixth through eighth in the same, and then ninth grade uh, separate. Um, and then I've taught mostly fifth through ninth graders. Okay. Yeah. But six has been my baby for the last couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> and is there, like, do you, do you imagine yourself staying in sixth grade if you had the choice to do it? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What do you like about them? Everything that they are thinking about comes out their mouth, <laughs> <laughs> which is <laughs> great. 
I well, I said to say if you're if you're a parent, I imagine it's quite annoying. Um, I don't have children of my own, um, but the 150 I have a day, I feel like I can peer into their brains because they spit it out their mouth. And from from the learning process and from learning about how to learn and, and being a scientist, it's mm-hmm. amazing for me to get to watch their cogs spin and their gears click mm-hmm. when they're making those connections. You know, and they are not afraid to say. And I say, what was that mean? And I'm like, that's mind-blowing. And, you know, or wait, wait, I think, ah. And they're just jumping out of their seats to, to make those connections. Yeah, I notice that seventh thing. graders and eighth graders don't do that. And sixth graders are, are great because they are part of the learning and they yeah. know how to craft it the way they want to. And I feel like it's a very authentic learning environment. Mm-hmm. And that's where I like to be. Yeah. Um, what were your experiences like as a student – and has that affected you now and how you teach? Yeah, I think so. I was lucky to have some very project-based learning experiences. Mm-hmm. I think it was maybe sixth grade or fifth grade. I can't quite remember. But we did a project called Norman Rockwell Lives Okay, where my language arts teacher mm-hmm. or maybe our regular teacher right. loved Norman Rockwell and we took these Norman Rockwell paintings and wrote scripts about them. Okay. Then we auditioned each other for our scripts and then performed the play mm-hmm. about them. And it just felt very holistic. We worked on costume designs and mm-hmm. character development and quotations and acting and public speaking and all those things, Yeah, um, which was a lot of fun. So I think I really remember um, that. That was fifth grade. Sixth grade, I had a math teacher who did flashcard baseball Okay. You'd stand in the middle of the classroom and pitch flashcards for multiplication facts, and then you'd run your bases. And right. We'd take bets on the Rams games. That was his favorite sport team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Went over my head then. What goes over my head now? But <laughs> I remember that there were some characteristics of his enthusiasm that were really strong. Mm-hmm. And also in sixth grade, I watched some of the first releases of a science television show called The Voyage of the Mimi that oh was produced God. out of the I Bank Street College of Education. That song like embedded in my brain. All right, so that's the power of song for you right there. But here's the crazy thing. One of the things I really loved is that the characters stepped off screen and then told you who they really were. And cool. I just remember knowing in sixth grade. When I was substitute teaching in a fifth grade private school, for a short period of time, they were finishing their whale unit and their ocean unit, mm-hmm. and they watched The Voyage of the Mimi. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in the back of the room with a bunch of students, and the character, C.T. Granville, steps off Kate's, you know, camera, and he yep. goes, Hi, I'm Ben Affleck. I play C.T. <laughs> Granville. And I fall out of my teacher's chair thinking, Oh, my God, this is Ben Affleck? And then I remember that I watched all of them when I was in sixth grade. It was just this huge flood of stuff and Ben Affleck got his teaching you know sorry, his teaching career started yeah great he got his acting career started on an educational video right um that I really remember had to distill water because the you know mast broke and they got shipwrecked and, I mean I'm glad you remember that because what I remember is that if you have hypothermia that you should get in skin-to-skin contact with someone Ooh. in a sleeping bag <laughs> And thus, the course of our lives <laughs> have gone from there. Yes. Uh, I wish I remembered more. So, science teachers, <laughs> librarians. Have you read about the one with that? Yeah. Um, what advice do you have for people who are thinking of going into teaching? 
um, they should do it. And it's hard, but especially from science and engineers who I mm-hmm. meet who are thinking about second careers, um, students absolutely need rigorous science education in this country more than ever. And we need people who believe that all students can learn science. Mm-hmm. So they should do it, jump in both feet and, yeah, and get in there. And that being an excellent teacher and being a great teacher are sometimes non-distinguishable from the student's perspective, hmm. and, but maybe really big to your family's perspective or your life balance. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to be a great teacher. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> that's good advice. <laughs> that's really good, actually. <laughs> so, that's, yeah. Um, and what, I think maybe we've touched on it, but you're such a great teacher and I want uh, to convey the just the enthusiasm. So what, um, what are moments that make you feel like you're a great teacher? Cause I see it. When do you feel like that? Hmm, that's good. Or an excellent it's a great, teacher. It's a great, <laughs> thank you. Um, it's a great question. I think well, a couple things, a really recent example is I just got an email from a student who's a freshman at university of Washington. Mm-hmm. So I had her many years ago. Again, I teach yeah. sixth grade. And her email said, can I come and visit? I turn in my last test on the 15th, and if I don't get out of the house, I'll be bored out of my mind. Mm-hmm. Great. So she's reaching out to, to come and volunteer or hang out in class. That's a great feeling of, you know, I've done well. Yeah, so it's connections. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it when I see students expand on the learning they've done here. Mm-hmm. Um, a great example is uh, we were recently studying the buoyant force that mm-hmm. makes things change their weight in water. Mm-hmm. And when a student was writing his conclusion, he calls me over and he's like, Miss Levine, I, I misspelled buoyancy. I wrote Beyonce. <laughs> and I did the same thing you just did. I absolutely cracked up. And then I said, work it. Just work it. He came back to me the next day and he's like, so I've got it. It's going to be all the scientists, all the scientists, water pushes up, water pushes up. And I thought, I clearly am creating a classroom environment where small mistakes like buoyancy and Beyonce can become incredible learning opportunities. And then I find myself coaching this science student on how to choreograph and, you know, the moves to, you know, all the single ladies to all the scientists. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a lot of fun. I think that's where I am the best teacher is Mm -hmm. where I absolutely just love learning. Mm -hmm. And I work with, again, colleagues like you, when you hand me books, I love learning about John Green and about, Scott Westerfeld or other great mm-hmm. authors so that I can have conversations with students completely outside of the realm of science. Right. Like dance and song mm-hmm. and what's going on at X Wagified. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, or having kids tell me how to play the ukulele better. Um, <laughs> You've had kids tell you how to play it better? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, so here's where you might, you know, improve your string practice <laughs> because they're like violin virtuosos and, <laughs> right, right. you know, here I am making it up. <laughs> Oh, that's so fun. Um, have you ever thought about leaving teaching? Yeah. I love curriculum design. Mm-hmm. And I like to see scope and sequence. And I've thought about creating curriculum that could be used in other places. Mm-hmm. I once looked at a job offer for one that was posted or mm-hmm. job opportunity. And I looked at the job description and I looked at the pay and I looked at the fact that I'd be sitting at a desk mm-hmm. and I'd be paid way less and I'd have only two weeks off for vacation. And I realized that I probably won't leave teaching anytime soon. Right. 
I also realized that in my teaching career as it is, I've been afforded lots of opportunities for outside projects that have really been stimulating mm -hmm. and have allowed a lot of curriculum development and professional growth. I just don't have like a book title, you know, and I'm right. not the book author. And I don't know that that's as glamorous as I always used to think mm -hmm. it is as well. Right. So. And are those opportunities you have sought out by being part of professional organizations or that have come up? Like, how did, how did you get involved with that? Yeah, some are, some I sought out in a way. I think there was that short time I had this book dream and I was going to do some curriculum development and sort of put it out there. And mm -hmm. I was just approaching some organizations to see if there was any green and sustainable chemistry curriculum out there for middle school students. And right. one of the organizations I approached was the American Chemical Society. Okay. And through that just contact and relationship with them, mm -hmm. it turned out I became a founding board member of the association American Association of Chemistry Teachers. Cool. So that was a great opportunity. So it hadn't been around? Or? No, we were just newly founded. We just launched in September. Congrats. Thanks. <laughs> That's cool. That's great. And um, let's see, other opportunities. Yeah, sometimes they come to me. Um, I've had parents who've suggested opportunities to me by email. Mm. They were like, hey, check this out. I'd like to nominate you for or whatever. And mm -hmm. typically they have like, only a week and a half deadline left, you know, and they're like, oh, right. it's coming up. And I'm <laughs> like, hmm, all right, let's see if I can pull something together. Um, and surprisingly, those have been pretty successful, and that's been a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then I know you do, this is maybe not quite related to teaching, but I know, like, you did some really cool travel this summer. Yeah. Um, and I know you've probably done other in the past. I just don't know your full experience. So is, is that stuff that um, you – you sought out in kind of connection to your teaching or was it kind of an opportunity to use the summer for your own yeah. growth? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I guess you could say I came into teaching through wilderness education and like outdoor environmental education. Right. So my early teaching experience with high school students was backpacking with them in the summers. Mm -hmm. And you can't make a full-time job out of three fabulous weeks of working with high school students on transformative experiences in the summer. When I started working at Eckstein in public school here, I gave that up so I can have my summers back to myself. Mm. Yeah. Um, although I've worked a couple summers locally with a great program called Rainier Scholars, mm -hmm. um, but in the adventure travel aspect, last summer was the first time I had worked with students in a travel experience in a long time, and okay. um, I was working with a organization that took students to the Canadian Arctic to do wilderness, and, sorry, wildlife science and cultural exploration. Yeah, your pictures were incredible. <laughs> I was 60 meters away from a polar bear. It's really exciting. That's so cool. Um, okay, and I, we're wrapping up now. Okay. Unfortunately, I could talk for you forever. I could talk to you forever um, too, Erin. You're the best. Are there, are there any students or classes that stand out in your mind? And obviously, you don't have to name names. Right. A teacher always doesn't want to have favorites. Right. <laughs> um, but there always are those young people who you kind of feel like they're old souls, and mm -hmm. I, you can be friends with them when they're older, yeah. and then they become older, and then you're friends with them. Um, so I have a couple of those students that is still the case. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's been really fun, even from way back in my private school teaching days. Wow. Um where I've known kids for a very, very long time. And how did you keep that uh, relationship over the years or the connection? Um, or did they just, would they come back or? Sometimes it's through their parents. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember my mom doing the same. Yeah. But I also have my mother's names and faces disease or gene, I should <laughs> say, if it's less negative. And that is I can remember everybody, mm-hmm. uh, which is not always great. So I'm at Bumbershoot and I'm like, hey, oh. So I started like not talking to <laughs> former students anymore <laughs> at Bumbershoot um, and let them come to me. Yes. Um, but they do. Or most recently I was just at a club actually and this person walks up to me and he's like god you look really familiar and I'm like yeah you look really familiar and I was like what's your name and he said his name and I was like oh my god and then he looks at me and goes oh really and I was like yep and I was like how are your parents he goes this is really embarrassing you know because he's now 23 and whatever I'm dating myself but um he wasn't when I first started working with him yeah there's and there are always some classes um I will say this, I, as much as schools try not to track students, mm-hmm. um, they do, and um, certain class periods over the years have had the same kinds of characteristics of students mm-hmm. who ask questions at a high school level mm-hmm. and are really pushing the thinking and the mm-hmm. learning of the classroom environment, and those have been memorable class periods mm-hmm. that have been really treasured. Um, sixth period last year was wonderful and pulled me through a really tough time personally, mm-hmm. and sang all the time and you know I felt like there was a really good bond especially since at the end of the year I got a um talk nerdy to me um, mug from a student and all the n-e-r-d-y are all in the periodic table of elements so I felt like that was like I think I gave that mug to my brother (laughs) (laughs) it's good so yeah it's the there are some definitely memorable kids it's unfortunate that the classes are actually too big to yeah. really get to know everybody really well. And so the ones who talk about themselves a lot get known or mm-hmm. the ones who, you know, fall through. It's the bell curve issue, right? So right. the ones on one end and the ones on the other, you get to know. And, and really the, the average yeah. students, you know, Hard. named Sophie and William the last five years. Well, <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh. Last year I thought, well, if there's a will, there's a way. But if there's seven wills, I really don't know how I'm <laughs> going to get through it. <laughs> Sorry. <That's a> good- <laughs> Uh, so much fun um well thank you so much for talking to me and we'll talk soon yes bye that was the end of the interview but it's not quite the end yet now listen to jessica talk about how she uses her mom's ukulele to teach students using a parody of a song from credence clearwater revival played the ukulele that's what this is although this was not my mom's my mom was also really cool that she wrote a lot of parody songs Um, A parody is when you take a song and then you write your different lyrics to it on top of it. So my mom was really good at doing that for birthday parties or anniversaries or weddings, and she'd always be singing somebody a a parody song. Apparently, I got that gift from her. So after she died, um, I took her ukulele. This is not the one I learned on, but I learned her baritone ukulele. And then I bought this one for myself just last summer. This is a traveling tenor ukulele. You can see it's pretty skinny. That's why it's called traveling one. It carries around really well. But I tricked it out because I didn't want to learn a new fingering system for learning how to play tenor, even though I learned how to play baritone. So I tricked this out. It's got baritone strings on it, even though it's a tenor. So it's a tricked out traveling tenor with baritone strings. And I wrote a parody song for you. Are you ready? So, so I'll sing it once, um, and then we'll all sing it together. And then there are some hand jive mo- movements, okay? Mm-hmm. So this is why we're all here. Okay. 
let's make sure you know how to do the hand jive part and the conduction convection. So we'll just start right in there just to practice. Because anytime we learn something new, or even when you're nervous about something, uh, you gotta practice. So I'll just start. We're gonna do conduction, convection, radiation with the hand jive. So sit up, you're in choir, you know, get your hands free, put your pencils down. Are you ready? Don't bop a neighbor. Just get ready to do it. Five, six, seven, eight, go. Conduction, convection, radiation. Oh, you have to sing it. Ready? Let's do it again. Five, six, seven, eight, go. Convection, radiation. One more time. Five, six, ready, go. Conduction, convection, radiation. All right, are you ready to do it when it comes to your part? The thing is, actually, the whole thing is your part. You're going to sing the whole song. I'm going to sing you in which means I'm gonna play a little bit of the music first, then I'll play the chorus first, okay? And then um, then you'll start singing and I'll sing along with you. You ready? Okay, here we go. end of my show. Thanks for listening. You can find future episodes on adequateyearlyprogress.com, iTunes, and hopefully soon the Microsoft Podcast app. Thanks to the band Inspira's song Follow the Waves for the upbeat music you are dancing to right now. Thanks to freesound.org for the Creative Commons license for user SBYANDIJI's alarm bell sound, user Totia's Yeah sound, and user Mental Sanity off for the background chatter sound. Thanks for listening and talk to you next on February 22nd.
tonight.